Luke chapter number 17. I'm going to start by reading a verse in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, I'm going to read to you today as we talk about a house divided. Matthew chapter 24, verse number 10 says this, And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Now, Jesus is speaking in this moment on the end times. He said, this, this is what it's going to be like right before I come back. Before I return, he said this, many are going to be offended. Now, what I want you to notice this morning, what I believe with all of my heart, is that there is a progression and you see the progression in this particular scripture. Watch how it works. It says this, many will be offended. That offense is going to lead to betrayal. The betrayal is going to lead to hate. Now you say, well, pastor, that word hate seems to be a little strong. Well, hate doesn't always manifest itself in the way that we think. It, the Bible says that there was a man by the name of Absalom Absalom hated his brother Ammon, and here's what the Bible says. He hated his brother Ammon, and so he spoke neither good nor bad to him. In other words, Absalom hated his brother, and it simply caused him to withdraw. He just withdrew. That's a form of hate. And so he hated his brother. Now the hate stayed in Absalom's heart, and here's what happened. Because he never dealt with it, he ended up killing his brother. And so it says, offense is going to lead to betrayal. Betrayal is going to lead to hate. Then watch what happens. And then that hate is going to lead to deception. And then the deception is going to cause the love of God to grow cold in somebody's heart. And it all starts, listen to me, it all starts with offense. Offense. And let me just tell you, I have seen it happen over and over and over. It seems like the devil's weapon of choice to get people to move away from the purpose of God, the plan of God for their life. I've seen good people with good hearts and incredible potential wanting to do something for God, but because they let offense creep in the door of their life, they walked away from church, they walked away from the purpose of God. I don't just mean this church, I mean going to church at all. They sit at home, watch TV, or try to watch the internet because they don't want to be around people because they let offense into their life. The progression began to grow. And you watch, you watch. The love of God begins to wane in their life. It begins to grow cold, and it all starts with offense. It all starts with offense. The number one trap, I said the number one trap the enemy uses to divide us is offense. It's his weapon of choice. And over 23 years of ministry, I've seen it take out person after person, family after family. It is offense. And it is a trap. 
And so many have given into it, and we have got to guard against it. And Jesus said, this will be a sign. You see it out in the world. You see out in the world that people are, are so touchy, and, and, and if you say the wrong thing, if you don't use the exact right verbiage, if, if you come across as harsh in any way, they throw up this big wall. They're offended at everything. But it's been happening for years in the church. It's been happening for years decades. I've seen it with my own eyes. And so we have to learn how to overcome this. How do we guard against this thing? Because I believe that that if it's the devil's weapon of choice, we need to pay attention to what he's doing. It's dividing families. It's dividing husbands and wives. It's dividing relationships, business partners. It's dividing. It's causing this incredible divide, and it is offense. And so I want to give you four ways to overcome offense, and listen to me. These are not four options. These are not, I like the first one, but not the next three, or I like two and four, or maybe I'll work on three, but no, no, no. You have to do them all. They're they're non-negotiable, right? You have to do them all. And we're going to start right here. You start by praying for them. You have to pray for them. You said, Pastor, I knew you were going to say that. How many of you knew I was going to say that? How many of you already filled in the blank before I ever even got? Come on now. How many of you are one of those people? I'm one of those people too. I, I lean over and say, he's going to say pray. Well, well, that's true. You have to start by praying for them. And it's not what your pastor says. Listen to me. It's what Jesus said. Jesus said to pray for them. In fact, here's what it says in Luke chapter 6. He said this, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. The apostle Paul would go on to say almost the exact same thing in Romans chapter 12. He said, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Pray that God will bless them. Don't curse them. Don't curse them. Pray for them. And the reason why Jesus said this and Paul reiterated it is because I believe it is very difficult. In fact, I believe it's impossible to stay mad at somebody you pray for. You don't believe me? Try it. I mean, genuine prayer. Huh? Not praying that the fleas from a thousand camels infest their bed. No, 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 no. I'm talking about you really genuinely pray for somebody. Watch what God does to your heart. You just watch. So you have to start by praying for them. You have to pray for them. And the second thing is this. You have to forgive them. Y'all knew I was going there next, right? You have to forgive them. And that's almost as fun as praying for them, right? It's almost as fun, just forgiving them. Do you know that when Jesus told parables, listen to this, when Jesus told parables, he would explain the parable if asked. Somebody came to him and said, could you explain that? Jesus would explain it. But there was one parable he explained without having to be asked. And it's in Matthew chapter 18 where he's talking about the unforgiving servant. Jesus explains this parable without ever being asked to explain it because it's that important. If you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. You have to forgive. Forgiveness is not a choice. It is not emotion. It is something we are required to do. 
In Luke chapter 17, if you're there, in verse number 5, listen to what the disciples said to Jesus. Listen to what they asked him. They said to him, and the apostles asked, Lord, increase our faith. What caused them to say that? Did they just witness somebody raised from the dead? Because that would make sense. Did they just watch him open blinded eyes? Because that would make sense. Did, did he heal a, a leper? Did he, did he cause somebody who was lame to receive strength back into their, their bones, their ankles, their joints, and, and they went walking where they couldn't walk? Because that would make sense. Because if you saw that, you'd go, man, I need more faith because I want that. No, it was none of those things, even though by this time they had already seen all of that. Here's what caused them to ask Jesus to increase their faith. In verse number one, Jesus says, it is impossible, but that offenses should come. In other words, when you live in your life, you're going to have the opportunity to be offended. Huh? You're going to have that opportunity. If you haven't had it this year, we're already in October, get ready because it's coming. It could be this afternoon. It could be next week. But let me tell you, when you live, you're going to have the opportunity to be offended, to hold on to resentment and bitterness. And so the Bible says it's impossible to live life without that opportunity coming into your life. But also, here's what happened. Here's what he says in verse number three. It says, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you, saying, I repent. Didn't say he had to have tears in his eyes. Didn't say he had to genuinely mean it, be remorseful, show any signs. He just simply says to you, I repent, you shall forgive him. And they immediately said, Lord, increase our faith. Oh, man, are you kidding me? You mean seven times? Did he say seven? Seven times? Lord, increase our faith. Why? Because Jesus knew how difficult it is when someone has been genuinely hurt, when something was intentional, when they meant to do you harm for you to forgive them, how difficult it is. But do you know the key to forgiveness is this? I really believe the key to forgiveness is to learn the lesson and forget the details. I didn't say forgive and forget because that's impossible. Okay, it's, it's impossible, especially if you've been really hurt, if there was, there was something that was traumatic in your life. It's very difficult. But the key to forgiveness is to learn the lesson and forget the details. And do you know, watch this, watch this. Do you know most people get that exactly backwards they they get it exactly backwards they forget the lesson but oh man they remember every detail why do they remember the detail 10 years later 20 years later because they have rehearsed it in their mind because they have told it every opportunity they get oh yeah you know my childhood? <laughs> you think you had it bad. I was beat with barbed wire. We walked six miles in the snow, barefoot, through shard glass. I don't know how that works out, but you know, we always embellish. Every time we tell a story, we seem to 
embellish it just a little more. And so, so you know how that works. People get that backwards. You're supposed to learn the lesson. Okay, I learned my lesson. Not doing that again. But you know what? I'm going to forget the details. And I'm just going to move on with my life. Hallelujah. And so we have to understand this is the key to forgiveness. And this is why it's so difficult. But this is also why it is so necessary. And the third thing is this. You have to seek to be reconciled. And of all the points that I'm going to give you today, this is probably the most difficult. Because sometimes it's easy to forgive from a distance. To forgive somebody, hey, I forgive them, but I never want to see their face again. I'm not so sure you actually did forgive them. Amen? What's the first thought that comes to your mind when you hear their name, when you see them? Huh? If you're still struggling in that area, maybe you haven't been reconciled yet. Maybe you've said a few words, huh? Maybe you've prayed. Those are all necessary steps. And I know, listen, let me just tell you, reconciliation is not always possible. Sometimes we have to forgive people that have passed away. Sometimes we forgive people. They're no longer in our life and and we can't approach them. It may be a divorce. It may be an instance where it was abuse or there was something traumatic and you need to stay separated from them. So I understand that there are those moments and that's certainly, certainly understandable and necessary. But if it's possible, you have to seek reconciliation. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Here's what he said. If you go to offer your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, here's what he said. Leave your gift at the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother and then come back and offer up your gift. What if we actually did that? Huh? And listen, when it is possible, we need to go and say, listen, I've been holding on, not you, huh? not pointing a finger, not saying, well, listen, let me just give you a list of all that you did to me so that I can be reconciled. You go and you say, listen, I have been holding on to something. And I don't need to go into the details. And it's not all about that. But let me just tell you, I want to be reconciled to you. I forgive you. I'm not holding anything against you, huh? And that's what it means to seek out reconciliation. First go and be reconciled. This happened with my wife. When, when we were married, I've told my story uh, about how we struggled in our marriage early on. I've told it a thousand times. Guess what? I'm going to tell it a thousand more. So just get used to it, all right? But I was a terrible husband. I was unloving. I was uncaring. I was completely disconnected from her. I had checked out of the marriage. I had checked out. We were living like two strangers. And there was a period of time we actually didn't even speak. We were in the same house. We didn't even speak to each other. And if we did, it wasn't pretty. And so... When I began to, to, God began to touch my heart and I began to say, you know, you need to, you need to get this right. And God, God walked me down the path of how to really be a husband because I was so selfish and God really dealt with me in that area. And we began to turn our marriage around. First, listen to me, first she had to forgive me. 
Now, I found out later she prayed for me. I'd like to hear some of those prayers. I wanted to kind of rewind and get in on some of those. But first she prayed for me, and then she forgave me. But watch, the real work is she had to be reconciled back to me. That's the real work. And that is not an instance. That is a process. It's a process. And it's called work and effort. And it's not easy. And it doesn't always go well. And guess what? They may reject you. They may dismiss you. They may absolutely not care what you say, how you feel. It doesn't matter. It's not on them to receive it. It's on you to give it. It's true of forgiveness, and it's true of the work that you put in to reconcile to somebody. It's not always possible. The Bible doesn't say live at peace with everyone. It says, as is possible, live at peace with everyone. So you have to work on reconciliation. And then this last one is this. You have to also work to overlook the offense. You have to work to overlook the offense. I I have seen people walk away for some of the silliest stuff. Sever a relationship, a friendship, a, a, a brother, sister, a mother, daughter. I've seen people separate from what was once a strong, loving, caring relationship over the silliest little things. And I've seen people walk away from church for something so minute I called a, a, a guy one time. I hadn't seen him in church. This was years ago, long before we moved into this building. He was a, a faithful part of our church. I had had lunch with this guy. We'd been to his house many times. And I called because I hadn't seen him in a few weeks. I called and said, how are you doing? I, I hadn't seen you in a few weeks. He said, well, we've started attending another church. I said, well, tell me what happened. Is there anything that happened? He said, yeah, out in the foyer, your wife looked at my wife and didn't even acknowledge her, snubbed her, snubbed her. And so my wife, we decided, we're not going back, we're done. And so I talked to Cynthia about it, and I said, Cynthia, what did you do? No, I said, (laughs) they were tithers. No, I said, Cynthia, she said, and she said back to me, she said, Brian, I didn't even see her. I didn't even see her that day. And if I looked at her and looked away, it wasn't intentional. You see, sometimes it's the most ridiculous thing. Listen, we have got to work to to be a little better than that, right? We've got to work to overcome and overlook some of those little things especially. Now, I understand that, that there's real abuse and real trauma, and those things are impossible to overlook. They're impossible to overlook. But listen to Proverbs chapter 19. I want to read it to you from the Amplified Bible. Here's what it says. It says, Good sense and discretion make a man slow to anger, and it is his honor and glory to overlook a transgression or an offense without seeking revenge and harboring resentment. Here's what the Bible says. It is to someone's honor and their glory to overlook an offense. Develop some thicker skin, right? Give someone the, some, 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 some lean way. Say, hey, maybe they didn't mean it. 
Maybe it was a slight. Maybe they're having a difficult day. Maybe you don't know what somebody's going through. So guess what? I'm not going to hold on to what I think is some kind of slide or, or some kind of negligence on their part. I'm going to release it and let it go. I'm going to work to overlook this thing. There's a story in 2 Samuel I want to end with today that I read and I thought, wow, this, this is powerful. I want to read it to you from the New Living Translation. and We're going to put the scripture up on the screen for you to follow along in. But let me give you just a little bit of the backstory first. King David was going into this particular city, and in this city where there was a man by the name of, of Shimei. And here's what happened. Shimei was from the household of King Saul. He was a descendant of King Saul. David, of course, took over the throne from King Saul. King Saul had mistreated the anointing of God, lost his throne. God removed King Saul from his throne, gave it to David, and David actually in his life always honored Saul, even when, listen now, even when he had the opportunity to kill him, David refused. In fact, if you look into and and study the story, David actually killed the man that killed Saul. He killed him. That's how David treated Saul and his household, and his household. But watch what happened in 2 Samuel chapter 16, This man comes out and he starts hurling insults and accusations to David. Here's what it says. Read this. Get out of here, you murderer, you scoundrel. He shouted at David. The Lord is paying you back for all the bloodshed in Saul's clan. Watch this. You stole his throne and now the Lord has given it to your son Absalom. At last you will taste some of your own medicine for you are a murderer. Now a man standing by David said this, one of David's right-hand men, here's what he said. Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Abishai, the son of Zariah, demanded. Let me go over and cut off his head. I'd have had to think about that one. I'd have had to pray about that. Hmm, let me think about that. But here's what David said. David said, No, the king said, Who asked your opinion, you sons of Zariah? If the Lord has told him to curse me, who are you to stop him? Then David said to Abishai and to all his servants, My own son is trying to kill me. Doesn't this relative of Saul have even more reason to do so? Leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to do it. Now watch this. And perhaps the Lord will see that I am being wronged and will bless me because of these curses today. So David and his men continued down the road and Shimei kept pace with them on the nearby hillside, cursing and throwing stones and dirt at David. Wow, here's David. Listen, he had not taken the throne from Saul. He had not murdered Saul. In fact, he defended Saul. It was God who took Saul's throne from him and gave it to David. David was none of those things that Shimei had said. He was none of those things. This man had taken someone else's offense. David had done nothing to him personally, right? So he was carrying the offense of somebody else. 
And he was pointing his finger at David. Listen to what he's doing. He's actually throwing rocks and dirt and cursing him, hurling insult after insult, false accusation after false accusation. And there's a man next to David who said, let me take him out. Ooh, hallelujah. David said, don't do it. Don't do it. Maybe God told him to say it. Maybe God let this happen. Maybe God orchestrated this entire event. But I know this, God's going to bless me. I know this, God's going to take care of me. In spite of what he says, he can say whatever he wants to. I know the truth. Come on now. He said he can say whatever he wants to. I know the truth. And so just leave him be. And David went along. King David went along and let this guy ride alongside him, just run alongside, continuing to throw rocks and insults, cursing him, dirt at him, and David's down there, he's on his horse, and he's just dodging all this stuff, huh? How difficult would that have been as king? But David let it go. He overlooked the transgression. Now, here's my question to you. What is God telling you to overlook? What has happened to you in your lifetime? What has somebody said? What has somebody falsely accused you of? What has somebody done intentionally to hurt you, to bring harm to you, your family, your kids, huh? Your business, your finances. What has somebody done intentionally to you that God is now speaking to you and saying, let it go? You overlook it. Just work to overlook that thing. How difficult it is? Then it's so difficult. How necessary is it? Absolutely necessary. 